Full Service Radio. Welcome to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I am your host, Sarah Jane. During my time in culinary school, I gained an appreciation for good beer and continued my studies in beer at grad school at NYU. Since then, I have been a beer director, beer bar general manager, and I get to continue to explore the beer world with all of you wonderful listeners. Every week, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world, from brewers, importers, educators. This will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So for you listeners who have been listening from day one, uh, you know that we typically do the show at Monday mornings at 11 a.m. This is a special show. Uh, for a very special person, <laughs> so um, in the, and I mean that in the nicest way. Sure. Uh, so today we have John Hall. Um, I'm just going to directly read your bio from your book. Sure. Um, he is the senior editor of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, and was formerly the award-winning editor of All About Beer Magazine. Uh, the author of the American Craft Beer Cookbook. Uh, he has judged competitions around the world. He co-hosts uh, Steal This Beer, an excellent podcast. Definitely check that out. Uh, his work has appeared in the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Wine Enthusiast, and more. He lives in the picturesque city of uh, Jersey City. And today, we are talking about his newly released book, Drink Beer, Think Beer, Getting to the Bottom of Every Pint. Thanks for having me on. Of course. I, I, after hearing your introduction for your podcast, I feel mm-hmm. like I need to step up my games now. Like that, that was just, <laughs> it's normally just like, hey, here we are, let's get into it. And you have this very nice, thoughtful, I, I love that about, oh, uh, thank uh, you. about your show. Because like, we need to remind people, I think now and again, of why we're listening or why we're drinking or what we're doing. And that's, I, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to your intro. Oh, thank you. So the the man the man behind the curtain Jack Inslee would never never let me just <laughs> say hey just start it, yeah hey my name is Sarah Jane let's do this <laughs> yeah well on steal the spear my co-host uh, Augie Carton um, mm-hmm. if, oh. if I tried to tell him like hey we should do a more thoughtful thing he would you know give me a gesture that you can't see on the radio and then uh-huh. just you know so why are we here today yeah <laughs> he's a great guy he though. is he is uh, so before we get into talking about your book. And uh, I just finished reading it this morning. Okay. <laughs> as a true procrastinator. That's cool. One. I just finished writing it a f- couple of weeks ago. So, yeah. That's, you know, there you go. Um, so, I just finished reading it this morning. And I have the interesting experience of reading this book while listening to Tasting Beer um, on audio. Okay. I'm re listening to it. Randy Mosher's book. Yes. Yeah. Um, because of the second edition. Yeah. Um, so, it's kind of cool. It's like. It's like when a DJ, and I don't know anything about DJing, people who host other shows on this radio program can help me sure. out with this, but it's like when a DJ plays like a classic song, and then you have somebody get played, another, another track like played over it. Yeah. And there's like different... I don't different know what that's called, but yeah, there, there's a technical or, term for it. Jack, is there a technical term for this? I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> 
just laughing at my <laughs> inability to. But know weaving music. in, yeah, you're kind of like, a new beat with a with a with an old school. Yeah. yeah, because you cover a lot in your book where, you know, you kind of go through uh, the basics mm-hmm. a little bit, but you kind of take that and riff on it a little bit and pull it into you know why it's relevant today and and why you have to consider these facts. Yeah. So I just, I kind of want to, I have all these great quotes that I pulled from your book. So (laughs) what I want to do is basically read the quote. We'll talk about it. Okay. And while we talk about it, we're going to be drinking some beer. Cool. Um, We're drinking. uh, It's a very familiar looking (laughs) bottle. Yeah. Sierra Nevada. Thank you so much. Uh, Sorry. I had to lean from the microphone there. Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. And I feel like this this is so good. This is one of those beers that. I think we forget how awesome it is. So it, what's so interesting about Sierra Pale, and, mm-hmm. and, and I get this all the time because, you know, obviously the, the, the hazy, juicy IPAs are, are the big thing these days. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm fortunate to travel around for the magazine and for, for the book and for, for other, you know, podcasts and everything. Um, and I'm always met by younger drinkers. So I'm 38 now. I've been writing about beer for 15 years. Yeah. Um, you know, but I'll meet folks who are, you know, 21, 22 and they'll be like, Oh, have you been to blah, blah, blah brewery for, you know, whatever hazy juicy. And it's like, no, I haven't even heard of that brewery yet, but if mm-hmm. they're capturing your attention, like I'll put them on my list and I'll, I'll, I'll try to try stuff from them. Um, and then I'll say, so when was the last time you had a Sierra Nevada pale or a harpoon IPA or even a dogfish had 60 minute. Yeah. Um, and I get these blank stares back and it's like, well, those are my grandfather's beers man those are my dad's beers it's like (laughs) yeah but like we stand on the shoulders of Mm -hmm. of of the of these folks and what's sort of amazing is that when you have this beer even just compared to some of the west coast ipas that are made these days like this is very bland this is very it's 32 ibus yeah but when it came out in 1980, it was like, holy crap, 32 IBUs. Like, people lost their minds over this. Like, that's just too much bitter. And these days, it's like, well, where, where's the bitter in this beer again? And so um, It's there. It's a, it's, a, it's a fun beer. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is, this is definitely something I uh, kind of forget. It's, it's the same thing with, like, Allagash White. Mm-hmm. You know, you forget how just what a slam dunk of a beer that is. Yeah. And revolutionary, too. I mean, mm-hmm. ushered in a whole new category for American beer drinkers and American brewers as well. Um, you know, there's so many of these beers that we see all the time that are just sort of part of the background noise. Um, you know, I've been saying more and more, we're at this, this place in America where with 7,000 plus breweries, there's some breweries that I think will close. Um, you know, we, we've yeah. seen smaller breweries close, but I think we might actually start to see some of the larger players uh, close. And, you know, Smutty Nose, for example, um, they went through that, that difficult time uh, earlier this year in 2018 uh, where they might have disappeared altogether. And I was having a conversation with somebody and I said, if they disappeared from the shelves tomorrow mm-hmm. uh, in New Jersey where I live, how long would it take me to actually notice that it wasn't there yeah. anymore because there's so much choice and there's so many other breweries that you can be excited about. And it's a brewery that hasn't really innovated or necessarily grabbed the zeitgeist. Old Brown Dog was a, was, a, was a great beer. But, you know, aside from that, like there wasn't, there's not a lot that, that has held on to the attention. If Allagash White or God forbid Sierra Nevada ever went away, I know, but like, I mean, we would feel that immediately and yeah. for a very, very long time. Uh, it wouldn't go out with a shrug. It would go out with a, uh, you know, perpetual scream. But these are breweries that, yes, they have their, and for lack of a better phrase, flagship beers mm-hmm. that have been around for decades, but they also continue to innovate and continue to release, um, you know, rare and, um, exciting beers yeah. that 
you know, kind of come and go, but this one is kind of the constant, whereas I can't, re- I mean, Smutty Nose isn't releasing a cool shit beer, you know? No, no, um, they're not. And and even the beers, they, they had a cool little lab program going for a while where they were doing some small local stuff, a lot mm-hmm. of Britannomyces stuff, but it never actually really caught on. And the brewery, I don't know if, I guess it was part of their, their uh, economic struggles, but for the most part, like, they were just kind of... Um, uh, you know, putting it out there, but it wasn't getting traction, and then they didn't give it the life that yeah. they needed. They didn't give it the the you know the life support to keep it going for a long enough time for it to actually you know take off, um, which is which is too bad. But uh, yeah. So this actually leads me into the first quote that I really loved in your book, uh, and you had a sentence that said, "We need to support good brewing and good brewing only." Mm-hmm. And this is when you were kind of discussing you know local versus you know what is craft and. Yeah, you know, you kind of delved into all these different discussions, but um, I I agree with you, hundred percent. As somebody who had to design beer lists, mm-hmm. you know, I can't tell you how many times someone's like, "Well, how? What is your? What is the closest beer? Like, what what beer did you have on your list that's the closest from?" And this is when I was this is when I was at Eleven Madison Park. Yeah, what's the closest beer to this? And I'm like. Why does that matter? Fine, but I can I can recommend you a beer that is going to pair perfectly with the seared foie gras that you're having right now. That is is not anywhere near New York. Yeah, but, that traveled 500 miles to get here. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, but it's yeah. going to be it's going to be perfect for what you're experiencing now. It doesn't matter that it's local. Well, at the same point, of course I support local beer, and I'm I'm happy to, you know, give it a give it a fair shake. But I if it's not good, it's not. It's if good. it's not good, it's not good, and and that's the thing. There's this T-shirt that a lot of the beer geeks wear uh, when you're when you're out at beer festivals, and it, it says uh, "Drink craft, not crap," mm-hmm. and it's implying that Anheuser Busch or, or you know Bud Heavy or you know, Milwaukee's Best or whatever is, is, is crap. And are they great beers? No. Like, do they set the world on fire? No. But they're incredibly popular, and they do exactly what they're supposed to do. They're an alcohol delivery device, and they taste exactly the same time and time and time again, which actually takes a lot of skill. Yeah, the consistency Um, is hard. Yeah, it it really is. And when I walk into a local brewery that's turning out maybe 600 barrels a year, and they can't get their pale ale recipe right from one batch to the next. You know, I talk about this in the book a little bit, the, the, the brew pub. Uh, where I first started drinking when I was 21 uh, in, in, in the town where I went to college. Um, uh, I would walk in. I got to know the bartender over the course of you know a couple of years. And I would walk in and say, what are you drinking? And he would say, I'm drinking this. And he'd sort of steer me towards something that was that was either new on tap or something that had been around for a little bit. But it was always the best beer that was on tap. Mm-hmm. And you know, often I'd say, like, well, you know, I had the pale last week and that was pretty good. And yeah, it's a new batch. And so uh, you should drink the Hefeweizen. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to drink the Hefeweizen. And that's a problem, you know, is is supporting places that can't get consistency right. Um, just because you're a craft brewer or you carry the, the upside down independent bottle logo or, you know, w- whatever, th- does not necessarily mean that you are putting out good liquid. And I think that this industry and the fans of this industry, the very small minority of fans in this industry, have embolden some of these brewers to think that they can do no wrong mm-hmm. and it's almost like you know like their shit don't stink and like you can't you know oh I, can we uh, can i oh, say you can that curse. On here? okay yeah yeah sorry i should you have just, asked you beforehand. can't be racist or you know sexist or anything like that but like have at it with okay. the curse words good, good to know um i wouldn't do the other stuff but like that's no, good I know, to know. I uh, yeah um <laughs> 
but but that's the thing is that so many of these brewers seem to think that you know they're they're above it all and yeah. that you know they're they're sticking it to the man by opening up a brewery and going up against Budweiser and it's like yeah but you guys are not making good beer if I say this in the book and I and I firmly believe this if you're a brewer mm-hmm. who has uh, knowingly put out an infected pint uh, serve a glass of diacetyl uh, ask for money in return of something that was undercarbonated or overoxidized or whatever. If you've asked for money in return for beer that you know is flawed, mm-hmm. that's fraud. Yeah. And you need to get out of this industry. You need to stop making beer or reevaluate your priorities and do something different because the world is not as forgiving as it was even five years ago beer-wise. And it's only going to get harder. That's an interesting point. And for those of you just tuning in, uh, I'm speaking with John Hawley. just released a book, Drink Beer, Think Beer, Getting to the Bottom of Every Pint. Um, it's an interesting point that you just made in that um, the market is not forgiving. And I might make some enemies on this one here, but the DC beer Welcome scene... To my world. Yeah. <laughs> for the for the DC beer scene, um, you know, it is still so young, but it is really expanding rapidly. I would say that some of the early breweries had the benefit of being local, of being the only local option when they were still in their infancy stage, when they were still making mistakes, when they were still struggling with inconsistencies. And now they're very successful and they don't make mistakes like that. And, you know, they're on top of their stuff, but they definitely had the luxury of being the only local option. So people gravitated to them or stuck around with them because it was local. Yeah. And, and, and now you've got so many opening up that to get a local option here in DC is very easy. Um, but you do, you know, these new guys don't have the luxury of, of being the only local option. So right off the bat, if you're struggling with inconsistencies, you're going to fold. Yeah. A hundred percent. So in Jersey city where I live, we have one brewery. It's a city of 268,000 people. We have one brewery that's been around for three years. He makes good beer, you know, not always, um, you know, he's, he's, he's trying, I go down, I, I, you know, taste a lot of the beers. If I'm asked for feedback, I, you know, I give honest feedback. Um, and you know, for, for, for me though, I worry that if at some point and somebody will open up down the street and they come and bring their a game and this guy's had three years to get his, you know, his, his, his right. And maybe he's a, you know, a, a, a B minus at the moment, you know, if you averaged everything out, you know, it, it, whatever, mm-hmm. um, he's going to struggle a lot harder. And I think I've seen that in other places as well. I was just up in Portland, Maine a couple of weeks ago and gritty McDuff's used to be the place to go when you were in Portland because it was the only option. And you know, you talk to locals and the joke was, Oh, you're going to go get a, you know, black fly stout. I hope you like diacetyl, but it's what, <laughs> it's what you do. Yeah. And the last time I was up there, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I had no reason to go to Gritty's, you know, like, except for if I wanted to wax nostalgic a little bit, but I didn't want to look backwards. I wanted to look forwards. And so I went to four or five new breweries that had opened up and it's going to be tough for them, you know, to, to survive legacy wise. Yeah. Um, Especially considering the following that a lot of those breweries have outside of Portland. I mean, yeah. you look at Bissell Brothers mm-hmm. and Oxbow. I mean, they're definitely making it a main beer company. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're making a name for themselves nationally and I'm sure internationally and you know, you just can't compete hundred uh, percent Another point that you made that I, I liked and this again draws on one of the quotes <laughs> from your book here <laughs> um, is that uh, We need to speak up when beer is bad. Yeah um, If you get a, a bad glass of beer and, and this is something that you know, I am a big proponent of is the presentation of beer I think it it really needs to change and you got into glassware a little bit which 
I am a big, there's nothing that made me happier at EMP than pouring beer into a Zalto glass. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who don't know Zalto, this is a wine glass. This is a hand blown in Austria. They're generally about $60 each. So I loved like, and this was the time at EMP when there were only like six Zaltos in house total. So I would love like taking two of them and doing beer service with Zalto glasses because it really does make a difference. Yeah. But I mean, back. I mean, aside from that, if you get a beer that is off or wrong, you have to speak up. And and I know it's awkward, but you have to give them an opportunity to fix it. I think yes, a hundred percent, and I agree with that, and it's why I put it in the book. But the, the, I think the main thing is there's a difference between beers that are flawed and beers people don't like. Uh, you know, you go onto a website like Untapped where people can check into beers and uh, it's a social media and all that, um, and there are people who will say, "Oh, I tried Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, and I'm only giving it two stars because it's not hoppy enough." It's like, no, no, no. Like, this is how that beer is supposed to taste. You know, this is an American riff on a British pale ale. It is not supposed to be aggressively hopped. It's not supposed to be 100 IBUs. You dinging it because it's not hoppy enough for your palate. You're wrong, not the beer. Mm -hmm. But if it does come down to, yeah, I'm tasting cardboard or I'm tasting green apple or I'm tasting butter butter popcorn. And you know that that's a flaw. Mm-hmm. You know that's when I think it's it's appropriate to speak up, and not necessarily do it in a in a you know in a dick way. You know where you're don't take to social media first. I guess is is, no. is my number one rule. <laughs> Please of don't. If you're at the brewery, yeah, ask your server, ask if the bartender or ask if the brewer is around, ask if there's an owner around. You know, and ask them. You know, like, are you tasting this as well? You know, can you tell me about this beer? Um, and that's a lot more work than I think a lot of beer fans want to put in because it's just easier to, you know, give one star uh, and then be done with it and move on. But I, I don't think that that's a meaningful experience for either the brewer or for the drinker um, yeah. because it's it's an opportunity to learn. Uh, a little bit on, on, on both sides. And, and, and that's something that I'd like to see happen a little bit more. But um, recognizing off flavors, recognizing that if you see carbonation sticking to the inside of your glass, that it's a dirty pint, uh, you know, that there's dust or soap scum or whatever Lipstick, left over. God Lipstick, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's all of these manners of things. Uh, if you got a dirty fork, you'd send it back at a restaurant. Uh, same thing should be with a glass. And I'm perpetually amazed when I walk into breweries that serve dirty pints like with their beer that they don't either they're willfully uh ignoring the problem or Mm -hmm. they just don't know and neither is okay no and and i would i would highly recommend that this extends to everything if you give people who work in an establishment the opportunity to fix something you will be floored by how much they go above and beyond to make it better chances are if you say hey uh, I, I think this beer might be a little off. Can you check it out for me? And they check it out and it is indeed flawed. They should be immediately embarrassed and you'll probably get a free little taster or something yeah. to, you know, Hey, I'm so sorry. Or at least a heartfelt apology. Yeah. You hope. Um, a couple of years ago I was at a, uh, barcade in Manhattan. So it's a chain of bars where they have retro arcades and everything for folks who don't know. And, uh, uh, middle of the afternoon I was just sitting at the bar and I ordered something like a Bell's Two-Hearted, and it came mm-hmm. in a pint glass that was dirty, that had carbonation sticking to the inside of it. And I was shocked by that because this is a place that really cares about good beer service uh, despite its decor. Like, you wouldn't think it, but, like, they really do care about their beer program. So mm-hmm. I mentioned to, to the bartender, um, I said, you know, hey, just maybe an extra scrub on the glass or something, just trying to be friendly about it. Yeah. Uh, and they said, oh, sure, no problem. They got me a, a, a fresh one and a, and a, and a clean one. 
so she apparently mentioned it to her uh, manager who was there, who who knew who I was and and and, and what I do, uh, and he took a note of it. And apparently, an email went up to corporate saying like, "Hey, John Hall was in, and we had a dirty glass." And so I was at the Barcade in Jersey City, which is my local, uh, mm-hmm. about a week or so later. And Carl, the bartender who I know, he goes, "So yeah, I got an email that you're uh, you know reminding us to clean our glasses." And I said, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, no, it, it, we take this stuff seriously. And we just did a new training course for, for everybody again, no matter how long you've been here on proper glassware. And it's like, that's, that's cool. And I wasn't yeah. a jerk about it or anything else like that, no. but it's sometimes people don't know. And with turnover at restaurants or breweries or wait staff, it's not always something that people are thinking about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a, a, a few nice words can go a long way. No, it makes a big difference. And, and for those who aren't, you know, sure of how things happen when I was the, GM at Bertram Barley Church Key, I remember somebody tweeting about something and our beer director, Greg Engert, seeing it. And then immediately I was getting emails while the person was still sitting at the bar. And it, although that in an ideal world, that person would have just talked to the bartender or talked to a manager, but I understand human contact is hard for some people. I yeah. get it. Um, but either way, because the issue is raised and, you know, because Greg Engert cares about what happens at his bar, um, we were able to kind of, you know, do an impromptu, you know, quick training for the, for the rest of the week during pre-shift, you know, that's what we were talking about was proper service and making sure that you're tasting, um, anything new that goes on draft. Um, you know, these are things, these were practices that we had to do regardless, but it was a good reminder. Yeah. Hands down. I, and I, I like it when places do that, you know, yeah. it's not just, you know, it's, it's trust, but verify, you know, it's an old journalism idiom, but like, it's, you know, yeah, it, trust, but verify. So we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with uh, Beer Me and John Hall on Full Service Radio. Welcome back to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, recording live at the Line Hotel in Adams, Morgan. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. I'm joined in studio by John Hall, who has recently released a book, Drink Beer, Think Beer, Getting to the Bottom of Every Pint. A really fantastic book for people who are just starting out in beer or people who have been in the beer world for years and years. Uh, Definitely a lot of different topics covered, and we're kind of going through fun little quotes that I found throughout the book. Thank you. Uh, So we were just talking about um, speaking up when you do get a glass of beer uh, that is not okay, and hopefully that will uh, push the industry forward. Um, And speaking of the industry, you had a quote here uh, that said, the decisions being made now could affect beer for decades to come. And you were talking about, you know, kind of how beer has kind of gone through its teenager phase and it's kind of slowly stumbling into adulthood. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to remember that part of the book. I was like, wow, that sounds like a really intelligent quote. It was. Um, and there's so many more. <laughs> I uh, think it's towards the end here. So I, 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 one of the things I, I when, earlier when we were talking about Sierra Pale and, and mm-hmm. some of the, um, you know, the, the beers that are being made now and the drinkers that are embracing some of the hazy IPAs and that it's okay that, you know, some beers aren't shelf stable or uh, that we're just cramming unreasonable amount of hops into beers just for cramming sake. Uh, and yeah. all of that. I think as the new generation of beer drinkers come up and that's all they know and all they expect, it's tougher 
for them to go backwards and to look at a Sierra Pale or an Allagash White or you know any of these other great beers uh, because their palates have already gone to 10 uh, or 11 where as for a lot of us who started drinking you know uh, 15 20 years ago or even even longer we were really starting at zero yeah and going up incrementally just small notches at a time not, you know not even full numbers but just you know uh, micro numbers as it were and so it, i mean if you even start your drinking with European styles, sure. Sierra Nevada Parallel is already cranking up to five. Absolutely. But it, just American beer-wise, because yeah. it, it, America is really leading the global beer conversation these days. You, know, you can walk into breweries in Athens or breweries in Santiago or breweries in, in Brussels now, and you're going to find hazy, juicy IPA, or you're going to find pastry stout, or you're going to find you know, like weird imperial barley wines with cinnamon sticks or you know, like whatever else is, you know, is, is being made these days. Um, and a lot of the younger brewers, when I talk to them these days, the ones who are really sort of leading that trend, and I say, well, you know, that's cool that you make these imperial stouts that taste like s'mores. Mm-hmm. Do, do you have a base stout recipe? No, 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 no. We just started right off. You know, this is what I did as a home brewer. This is my first recipe as a home brewer. And, you know, this is what I perfected. It's like, so okay. you don't know how to make a stout. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I know how to. I just, you know, I don't. It's like, well, well have you? It's like, no. It's like, so it, it's it's this, I worry that, by not having the building blocks or, mm-hmm. you know, so, uh, we're on a solid foundation, but as, as the building gets bigger, the beer building, proverbial beer building gets bigger. Um, th- the structure is going to become a little weaker because it's not reinforced the same way that it had been. And that's, I'm, I'm worried about that. And I, I challenge drinkers to certainly think about that as well. Like it is fun now and again to just go back in time and to remember, you know, what a two hearted tastes like, what a piney tastes like, you know, just what a, you know, whatever, drink a Guinness now and again, for God's sake. Yeah. Like it's, you know, just remember what these beers are and see if there's a place for them in your life now and again. Don't just dismiss them out of hand because of, of age. Yeah. yeah. Or that it's not the limited release or, sure. you know, yeah, everybody can get it. It's not in a tall boy can that, uh, yeah, you have to line up starting at 3.30 in the morning for. And I will say for those who like to line up, it's a fun experience. I think line life is cool. Here and there. <laughs> As uh, to quote you again, I will never begrudge people who truly love something, even when I don't. Yeah, yeah, I, that's I, a good life motto. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I. It took me a while to come around on that actually, because <laughs> in the beginning I didn't really care or get the appeal of standing in line at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> uh, you know, with a bunch of other dudes like waiting for a beer that tastes pretty much exactly like the beer that we stood in line for, you know, the week before. But it really is the camaraderie and it's the sharing. Yeah. And it's the uh, uh, collaboration of ideas that, that, that come out. And so... Um, collaboration ideas and, you know, dick measuring as far as, 100%. you know, I've had this beer, have you had that beer? I've had this 100%, beer. 100%, yeah. Or the people who like to bring their whales on mm-hmm. the line and, you know, show off to everybody and, you know, see, you know, who can genuflect the hardest in front of them to get a, a half ounce taste so that they can check into Untapped with five stars because it's amazing. But Sierra Nevada Pale is, you know, only two because it's not hoppy enough. You know, it, yeah. <laughs> so there's aspects of it that I don't like, but it's also... Yeah. I've done it a few times just for, you know, research purposes, yeah. you know, just to kind of see. Uh, and I wound up kind of having a good time. I, I don't want to do it every week. It's, it's not going to no. be a regular part of my life. But, you know, I think that there's folks who are getting some fun out of it. But I also would wish that some of those people would then go to the dive bar down the street and go drink, you know, a bush light or, you know, just, you know, something like, ter- like you know, um, 
I was in Missoula, Montana a couple of months ago, okay. um, and we stopped by, uh, you know, this local bar after visiting a couple of breweries. And I looked around, and all of the locals, like, and we're in this like, local dive bar, and they mm-hmm. had a couple of craft taps, and uh, everything looked kind of sketchy. But most of the people were just drinking Bushlight uh, on tap. And I was like, you know what? If this is what the local beer is, of course I'm going to drink that. And it was a fun experience, you know. And we all, you know, even brewers who I was hanging out with, you know, we're all ordering the same thing, and you know, it's. It's one night, like, and it, yeah. it was kind of fun—a throwback as opposed to, you know, oh, triple decocted, uh, quadruple IPA with, you know, Vic Secret. Oh, it, it didn't fit into that location. Yeah. And so I think, you know, to, to have a more rounded beer experience, stand yeah. in line, do your thing, but then also, you know, go drink where your grandfather used to drink. You know, go drink where your, you know, you know, folks in your neighborhood still line up where they don't. Like, you know, give a shit about IBUs or hops or, you know, what sort of organic well, barley see, you're using. Or yeah. My grandfather used to put salt in his beer, so. Is he from, uh, he's from the Dakotas? No, he's from uh, Nova Scotia in Boston. Interesting. Yeah, and he put salt in his beer forever. I, I never knew that as a New England thing. I've seen it in the Dakotas and in mm-hmm. parts of, like, the upper, upper Midwest and the Plains states, but I've, yeah. I've never seen it in... New England. Oh, that's and when, so weird. When he lived, so he lived half the year in Nova Scotia, half the half the year near Boston, and in the time in Nova Scotia, <laughs> we would. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, yeah, so, he'd, he'd summer in Nova Scotia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, winter in Boston. Like, yeah, either way, yeah. like, it's just it's not it's miserably yeah. cold. He had a high tolerance, uh, but we would have to bring uh, Sam Adams up with us to Nova Scotia because it was of course not available anywhere in, yeah. uh, in, in Nova Scotia and he was like anti-Canadian beer so it was kind of funny to we'd, we'd have to bring like cases which now I'm saying it out loud that's illegal but it's fine it's fine <laughs> so um, the last little quote I want to highlight and we don't even have to talk about it but it's just a great quote we should aim to be like yeast absorbing all that's around us yeah that's just a great quote Thanks. I, you know, I, I've been a journalist for 22 years now. I started when I was 16. So this isn't ghostwriting. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it would have been so much you start easier. Start crying. You're like, it would have been. So it would have been so much easier to just write somebody a check and have them have them I do know. it. Um, uh, but no, I, I, I've been fortunate to not only cover beer, but I covered politics and I covered crime and I covered human interest stories and environmental issues and, mm-hmm. and everything else. Um, and as a reporter, I've, I've realized, and I still try to do this, is. You know, let the story happen in front of you. you know, yeah. Don't necessarily be the story. You know, like sitting on this side of the microphone is, is, is weird for me. Mm-hmm. You know, like answering questions as part of the book process. And, you You're know, doing I, a great job. I enjoy talking with you. But for me, I just, I find people interesting. And I find situations interesting and flavors and processes interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of the time, beer drinkers are too worried about, you know, the the label or they're, they're not necessarily getting into the story or why they should be drinking something or seeking something out. Um, but it's sort of the tail wagging the dog where they're told that that's what they should be doing. And that's, no, yeah. yeah. I can't tell you how many times I would try to put together, you know, beer sheets for my staff and I'd go on the website and I would have a paragraph long of what malts were used and what hops were used and where the hops are coming from. And, but I, I want to know where the funny name came from. Yeah. I want to know who did the artwork. I want to know why they decided to brew this beer. I want the story. I don't want the fact that there's, you know, 
mosaic hops in there. I don't, and I, I, don't, I don't think that you're alone in that either. I think mm-hmm. that there's a lot of drinkers who want that. And I think yeah. the more that we say it out loud and the more brewers listen to it, the more they want to share the story. Um, you know, for certain folks, and I, and I say this when I, when I give uh, media talks to, at brewers conventions and everything, uh, there's a certain group of people who will see Citra Mosaic, DDH, any IPA. Mm-hmm. And they're going to buy it no matter what. My yeah. dad walks in. He's going to be like, I have no idea what that means. You know? So, you know, paint the story of tropical pineapple and, you know, hazy yellow and, you know, special yeast London 3 or, you know, whatever it is. Like, just, you know, do something that can draw not just in the very small percentage of a small percentage of craft drinkers, but mm-hmm. can actually reach out and be an olive branch to the 87% of beer drinkers that don't identify with craft. Yeah. And, and one step further there is on websites for breweries. If I have to read one more time, well, me and my bro here, just uh, really, really awesome homebrewers. And so we just like took it, took it from there and, you know, followed our dreams. There has to be more to that, that story. I don't think there is. I don't oh, think there I is. Wish, As somebody who no. chronicles brewers and does profiles on, on, okay. on, on brewers, you know, dozens of times a year, um, that is really just a, I think the larger subtext of it, though, is people following dreams. And it's yeah. not just, um, you know, me and my brother were home brewers and we have a passion for it. But it's, you know, we took a chance or mm-hmm. I was in the corporate rat race and I made a lot, a lot of money. And but I hated it and it was soul sucking. And the only joy in my life was Saturday morning home brewing. And I needed to give it up. And so, you know, it would describe what that feels sure, like. No, of course. You know, like like home brewing is was the only joy in my life because it made me feel like this. I'm missing that because it made me feel like this part of the conversation. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a good amount of dreaming and doers, mm-hmm. uh, dreamers and doers uh, as well. You know, you look at somebody like Ken Grossman who, you know, dreamed about it, had a very technical mind early on when he founded Sierra Nevada uh, and wanted to do it for, you know, some of the, you know, I don't know, the, the exploration reasons. And then there's somebody like Jim Cook who founded Boston Beer, Sam Adams, you know, who was a smart businessman, but who also had a passion as well. But they came from two very different uh, you know, personal backgrounds uh, as well. You know, even Jim coming from a beer family, mm-hmm. you know, he was very much more business oriented and business minded, but wanted to give up that, that rat race, that day job, um, you know, and even farming out the beer to, to some of the larger breweries, uh, Miller in the beginning to make their beer, you know, allowed him to focus on what he was very good at. Whereas, you know, Ken was very focused on being in the brew house, which is what he was very good at. And so there's a reason that these two are very successful these days, but it's, you know, for different. Yeah. You can come from different paths to, to hit the same result. Well, um, thank you for coming in and chatting. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, Go out and buy this book. Please. It is on Amazon. It is at bookshops. I would highly recommend you go to Solid State Books, though, tonight. Um, this is a bookshop on H Street, Northeast. Uh, there will be a discussion and tasting with uh, John Hall right here, as well as Bill Madden from Mad Fox uh, Brewing Company and Greg Engert, my aforementioned boss and brewing director at Neighborhood Restaurant Group. It is at 7 p.m. Yes. And it is absolutely free. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to buy the book like that, that'll No, it's not free. Book, you book, have to buy the book. When you show you, up, yeah. you have to buy the book. <laughs> and John will sign it, yeah, and it'll come, be great. Yeah, but come drink beer and hang out with us. It'd be a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. Um, and check out Beer Me uh, Radio anywhere you have podcasts. If you have any questions, any concerns, uh, email me at beermeradio at gmail.com. Otherwise, uh, this has been Beer Me on Full Service Radio, recorded live from the Line Hotel. Thank you. Cheers. 
Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.